This podcast contains occasional rude words and possibly some very wrong concepts. So you have to blame yourself for listening and we hope you have a laugh. G'day, it's the Moon Man here, Lawrence Mooney. Did you ever have a childhood dream denied but can live with yourself because at least you tried? Check out this podcast, Saturday Afternoon Fever, with Matthew Hardy and myself, where we remember what we were like as naughty kids, terrible teenagers and young, drunk, idiot adults. Back to the book, Chapter 27. Uh, After that torrent of emotion, uh, Footy Fate is the subtitle within the Chapter 27 uh, the, the whole title of which is Mr. High in the Sky. Okay, footy fate, Lawrence. I think Mum knew something of what Trevor Barker meant to me, maybe in more depth than I did. Barker gave me a purpose, an aim, something on which to set my sights. I never came close to emulating his achievements on the footy field, but my drive to succeed, the need to make something of myself, started when I saw that footy card and his face on it. I simply had to redirect my energy upon realising that the saints and taking screamers and wooing sex sirens were well beyond me. When I realised I wouldn't be like Trevor Barker, I didn't put my drive to strive back into the draw. Missing out on the main thing didn't mean spitting the dummy and giving up on everything. What path might my life have taken had I not bought that packet of footy cuts? What if I'd been dealt Uh. a different hand? After much soul-searching, I concluded that It's all been fate, perhaps. It had to happen sooner or later. I was a pawn to my environment, a primary school kid living in Melbourne suburbia during the 70s. Everyone else was doing it, so what choice did I have, really? You know, if your mates jumped off a cliff, does that mean you would too? (laughs) That's what my mum used to ask, if I ever blamed my actions on the fact that others had done the same before me. It was obvious to us both that I would jump off that hypothetical cliff (laughs) if my mates did it first. (laughs) The concept of peer pressure conjures negative images, but my succumbing to peer pressure was a passive, positive reaction. I enjoyed following the crowd. Yeah, it's a very good point. I wanted to be part of the crowd. I didn't want to be an outsider. I didn't have the... And have the self confidence to be an outsider. I know, and if you've got the right or the but wrong now, crowd, I reckon I'm an outsider. Different. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't want to say that myself, but I won't disagree. Now you have right. Did but, you read the outsiders? That was like part of the curriculum at our school. Yeah, stay gold, pony boy. Can't remember anything from the outsiders. Can you? It was a bunch of kids that ran away together, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know if they ran know. away. They were just sort of troubled oh. uh, uh, youths oh, in the American. 80s and the, the, the cast of the film was everyone, but we didn't know they were going to become it. Was like C. Matt Thomas Dillon. Howell, Matt Dillon, mm. Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, Judd Nelson. Right, absolutely star-studded. No, I'm thinking then about the bunch of kids that ran away. My side of the mountain, maybe. The don't know. There was some school curriculum where you, some school curriculum book where it's a bunch of kids and they run away. The Famous Five, Enid Blyton? No, it wasn't all, uh, you know, tea and cakes for this bunch of kids that ran away. Oh, was it grim? I think they were troubled, but, you know, they went on a journey of discovery and then came back. Now, you know Lord of the Flies? I do know Lord of the Flies. Well, I think one of us referred to that recently, but how did they end up on that island again where they had to, like, just create their own politics? And Was it a plane crash or a boat crash? It might have been. What, all, the adults, all the adults died or something, did they? No, they 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 were marooned or shipwrecked, and then they're discovered right at the end, just as they're about to um, kill each other. Kill Piggy, I think. Okay. 
I made reference to the the conch. The conch shell. <laughs> I wondered back, back to, to the, the book. book. I wondered what might have happened had Trevor Barker's picture not been the first thing I saw in that set of footy cards. Would Rex Hunt, the only other St Kilda player? <laughs> I tell you what, what a different life you you. Well, uh, there's elements of Rex Hunt's life that we've spoken about off air that we're not going to repeat on air. But yeah, well, no, his fishing prowess and ability, of course. his commentary, and uh, I mean the fact that he kind of reinvented himself. Well, he, he was a, he was a cop. Then he was a, f- a football a footballer for St Kilda, Richmond, and Geelong. The interesting thing about his football commentary career it started with him going to the football and commentating into a recorder. Yeah, by himself. Yeah, and then he took that to Three AW and said, "Listen, I'm commentating," and they went, "Yeah, this is great." Yeah, I'm being really and charismatic, and I'm providing a different angle, a much more cartoonish or fun version than the solemn previous ways that commentating was and done. He referred to the ABC as the Tobin Brothers, which is a famous funeral directors. But yeah, he kind of reinvented a bit more showmanship um, in in commentary, and was a top line commentator for how long at Three AW? 20 oh, years? Maybe longer. But anyway, then there was then there was aspects of his existence that uh, uh, could be questioned. Anyway, would Rex Hunt, back to the book, uh, the only other St Kilda player in that same first packet have become my lifelong obsession if Barker wasn't there? Somehow, I doubt it. In Trevor Barker, it was immediately obvious that he was an attractive man. He was a ladies' man. He was a man on top of the pack. <laughs> if he's blonde... Hollywood-style attributes were what caught my eye. Then what if Hawthorne's Peter Knights or Essendon's Paul Vanderhaar had been the first face that I saw? Surely in that case, I've been entranced by them instead. And either way, I'd have been following a team destined for greatness instead. No, the fact that Knights and Vanderhaar were exciting blonde high flyers wouldn't have come into the equation. It was Barker's face, the look in his eyes on that footy card that had me hypnotised. There was something there. If Trevor Barker had played for some other side... The Matchbox, Matchbox Car Saint TV series connection that I had, it might have done the same thing. Uh, if it hadn't been in that packet of footy cards, I'd have discovered Trevor Barker some other way. You believe that it was kismet? Yeah. That it was synchronicity. It was meant to happen. Just explain the Saint Matchbox Car from the TV series. The TV series starred Roger Moore. Yeah. As uh, Simon Templer was the character name. And he was a spy. Yeah, and I think we discussed this in the first ever episode, but he was a spy. It was like a TV version of James Bond called yep. The Saint. And I think The Saint before him was Roger Moore, so it was kind of like an apprenticeship no, to become the, Bond. Before um, Pierce Brosnan, you mean, was no. Roger Moore. Oh, was Roger Moore not The Saint before he was Bond and then and then was... Oh, yes, no, no, Pierce... I'm sorry. Roger Moore was The Saint before he was Bond, yes. Okay. If we could do impressions... But Pierce Brosnan... Uh, if we could do impressions, this would be like an episode out of the trip with uh, with Rob Brydon and Steve Roger Coogan. Mm. I thought Roger. I thought Roger I, Moore. I liked, I liked the Roger Moore Bonds because I was old enough to go to the cinema on my own when the Spy Who Loved Me came out with Barbara Bach as the Bond girl and the car that went underwater and uh, oh, the white car that yeah was yeah, amphibious. Yes, that's right. Uh, the amphibious car. Yeah, a car that goes underwater. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Is that the wrong word? No, it's the right word. It's just a 
unnecessary explanation. <laughs> <laughs> An amphibious Maybe. Car. Okay, and, but it's correct. But what I'm saying is I fell in love with that bond particularly because I had uh, <laughs> I'd organised our Forms Walkathon and we had beaten the other years. What, raising more money for charity? Raising more money for charity. And so we were taken to the cinema. Um to see a movie and so there was this kind of sense of ownership of that film The Spy Who Loved Me and I liked Roger Moore of course he he ended up doing his final bonds uh, with wearing a girdle because he'd blown out in the gut department (laughs) and he was high panting it wearing a girdle Roger Moore (laughs) double XL 07 (laughs) my name's Bond Chesty Bond. I feel a bit embarrassed and a bit unmanly because I can take or leave Bond. Why bond f- Bond's okay. Most yeah. blokes seem to just revere it like women do with Sex in the City or Desperate Housewives. Or I guess, you know, for a lot of uh, boys and girls, but particularly boys, it's one of those things that, you know, comes along in, in your childhood and you want to emulate Bond, you know. You want to be that – it's an idea of – you know, a man that you want to be. He, he must be. He's tough, and women love him, and he drives a fast car, and he's got a gun. And you mean like he, you mean like Trevor Barker? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Except fictional. Yes. Uh, minus the gun. Except that Trevor Barker wasn't licensed to kill; he was licensed to thrill. Oh. When the saints go marching in. Oh, how I want to be with St. Kilda. Oh, this is the the Bond Saints mashup. Step aside, DJs of the world. Take that, David Guetta. Yeah. Were you impersonating a chicken or trying to be a DJ? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my it's my handle, DJ Chicken. <laughs> oh, waka waka waka. Was it wasn't that uh, what Fozzie Bear said? Wasn't that one of his catchphrases? Waka waka. Okay, a stand-up comedian. Fozzie. He was too. Yeah, in the Muppets. Are you Statler or Waldorf? You're probably both combined into one human person. Oh. Those two old hecklers up in the balcony box. I'd like to think that I'm Waldorf. The the one with the rounder head. <laughs> you know which one I mean. Yeah. Yeah, strange. I started this and I'm going to finish it. Well, you're actually, we are Statler and Waldorf because you've got the long horse's face and I've got the perfectly <laughs> round head. When you said long horses, I was hoping you were going to go in another direction. You'd heard the rumours. But anyway, let's move on. That's just vulgar and, pu- and puerile. Um, the Look reversal. Them, there they are. Well, we can see, well, the listeners can't see what we're looking at, which is uh, Derek, our producer, who's got Statler and Wardoff in the shape of their heads up on the screen. Let's move on. Back to the book. The Reversal of Fortune is another subtitle, right, within the main chapter. By nine... Which is called? The Reversal of Fortune. No, the, 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 the actual chapter is The High Flyer. Isn't it? Mr. High in the Sky. Mr. High in the Sky. I think we've lost it. So back here we are at a subtitle okay, again. Back to the book. Back to the book. The Reversal of Fortune. That's a subtitle within the chapter. By April 1997, I'd been living in London for exactly four and a half years. I'd remained a paid-up Saints member with weekly footy updates delivered by my brother by phone, and I felt a good degree of delight or dejection depending on the results. 
from afar. Therefore, after a hideous hiding in Brisbane completed uh, three straight losses at the start of the new season, I phoned the club from London to demand <laughs> Stan Els, the coach, be sacked. <laughs> Sorry, Stan. Rumours... How many drinks do you reckon? How many standard drinks before you picked up the phone to the club from London? Yeah, uh, a dozen. Rumors... I remember when Timmy Watson coached St Kilda. and uh, I'd rather not. Let me name a year for you. 99? Timmy Watson, we both met, luckily, and he was your childhood hero. Yeah. Lovely fella. But yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the highlight of his career coaching the Saints. Um, he coached the Saints for as long or shorter time than Malcolm Blight. Longer. Yeah. And that's so, a whole separate other disastrous So tale. what year? 99? Uh, Tim Watson? Yeah. No. Uh, or 98? Well, that's a good question. I reckon 99. Anyway, so... Because I think the first year I came back to live in Australia again was 2000, and that was the announcement of Malcolm Blight, who was going to be the saviour. Plus, we got Aaron Hamill, and we got Fraser Gehrig, and anyway, go on. So, I'm living uh, in a share house in Albert Park with uh, my good mate, Desi Dowling. Des uh, Dowling. Terrific bloke, fantastic stand-up. Great man. Uh, I think it was a Friday night game. I'm uh, having a few standard drinks in front of the TV. Um... Tim Watson is coaching St Kilda, which is a dagger to my heart that my childhood hero has now gone to another club. Uh, they're playing Essendon. They beat Essendon. I get on the phone to the club. I'm well gone by this time. It's the end of the game. <laughs> and leave a very long abusive message to whom it may concern <laughs> that you've let this treasure yeah. leave the camp. And yep. go to another club, and now he has shamed us by coaching a, a team to a victory against us. Blah, 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 blah. They didn't return my call. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you're still regularly checking your phone as well all this time afterwards. But you know what I noticed at Channel 7, because uh, Watson, by that time, Timmy Watson, had uh, he'd taken away the E off the Tim E. He'd become the more Tim mature. Watson. The, yes. more, the more mature Tim Watson. Well, he okay. was a... He was a newscaster on that's right on the he news. still is to this day yes but he's sports he, reporter yeah he'd already established himself as channel seven's news sportsman hmm. and seven made this announcement once he was um uh, confirmed as st kilda's coach that uh the position will be awaiting his return when and if he chooses to and i remember thinking no no because that's not going to make him try as hard as i want him to oh, to right. succeed as a coach if he had a knows, fallback position yeah fallback position which would be great money to be a network news sports anchor yeah and so there's no loss or no risk from what i could see i'm sure maybe tim thought there was to his reputation as a football entity or something he was going to risk his uh existing reputation as a legendary super successful player uh by putting his same reputation on the line as a coach and you know it didn't do him a great deal of favors in the wash-up but you know he did go straight back to the Channel Seven news role, which is big money and high status in this society. Mm. And I wonder whether that contributed to his, you know, lack, lack of, of success, lack of coaching prowess. Well, he didn't lack coaching prowess the night you played the Bombers, that's for sure. Back to the book. Do you reckon that would have made him feel good or bad? Oh, conflicted. He no, he would have felt good. He's a competitive soul, and he would have been wanting to win. And you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter who you're playing, it's where you are. Yeah. And that's where you are. Back to the book. Rumours of various mergers with other teams came and went almost monthly at the time. Some clubs were inevitably going to sink without trace, it seemed. Times were turbulent and action had to be taken. Stan Els had been given a good shot, but he'd failed. 
the steam train of extinction was rocketing around the bend and I felt it was someone else's turn to try and untie us from the tracks. <laughs> then, almost overnight, everything turned around. Al's offered his resignation to the senior team at a hastily called crisis meeting after round five. The team gathered, considered and refused his resignation. Oh! Yep, wishing to share the blame equally among themselves. They, so St Kilda. They analysed their errors as a unit. They started afresh. With the administration showing admirable faith in one and all, thankfully my phone call had fallen on deaf ears, Lawrence, <laughs> the St Kilda Football Club instigated what would become one of the most unlikely and exciting turnarounds within a season since Collingwood rose in 1976 from wooden spooners to finish on top of the ladder in 1977. On a tidal wave of emotion, St Kilda surfed straight into our first grand final for 26 years. Wow. Since 1971. And, you know... That whole um, sharing the blame, accountability, you know, truth session is the new kind of sports psychology and it's what they um, credit turning Richmond around. That's right. Three-time premiership team from a team that was languishing to sit down and say, this is what I most fear, this is where I know I'm lazy uh, and this is what I'm, you know, I'm going to share with you. It worked. It's kind of like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if if that is the yeah. new sports medicine slash psychology, we are destined for success after this because we're unloading our fears and our weaknesses. What does it say about our listeners, our treasured listeners? And there are shitloads of listeners. I thought this could have been just like a cathartic therapeutic session for you and me to maybe record you know, and well, it would perhaps to... have an impact, but it's massive. It is massive. This podcast and some surprising listeners too that you've discovered. Yes, such as who? What Sophie Director from England? Well, not just Sophie Director from England, but you had discovered your great hero, Tony Lockett's brother, loves this show. And Tony Lockett's brother does love this show. Yeah. So, uh, g'day, Neil, and thanks for spreading the word. Neil Spider Everett is mates with Neil Lockett, who told Spider Everett about our podcast. As Spider Everett, who played for uh, St Kilda, other Swans and Hawthorne. Hawthorne and the Swans. That's right. Was that the order? Mm. Okay. Anyway, either way, Tony Lockett's brother. I mean, we just need to get Tony Lockett to work out what a podcast is. We've spoken to him. With all, with all, I, with all I, due respect, he said he's not totally up with the modern yeah. technology. If imagine I, if we get Plugger to listen. If we're going to get Plugger on board... You can't run him into the ground on the podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have we mentioned how handsome and well dressed and eloquent Tony Lockett is? He's a he's a neighbour of mine. Uh, there he is or thereabouts. Not. A he, neighbour of yours. He lives in the Southern Highlands, and so do I. The Southern Highlands. I don't even know what that is. It's a New South Wales area, area. of yeah. what privilege. The Southern Highlands. No, it's a it's a rural farming community. Yeah, You're a farmer some, now, are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm a farmer. <laughs> I don't know how farmers play. Yeah, mate, I'm a farmer. Shot that gate. <laughs> <laughs> the bull, the bull. <laughs> Shot that gate. <laughs> this is us quoting Whitnail and I yeah. again. Are you the farmer? Stop saying that, Whitnail. Of course he's the fucking farmer. We might as well share a deathbed like Laurel and Hardy in the same in the same bed with our hands above the blankets, all asexual. Quoting with Nail and I. Like um, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Oh, with the, the four grandparents yeah. in the one bed. What a bit, stinky old bed that was. A bit unhygienic. Because they hadn't been out of it for 20 years. And at one point, Grandpa Joe 
looks under the bed and there's a singular potty. Yeah. So what, all four of them take turns to poo into it or what? <laughs> What's Charlie? You got to clean that up? Yeah, I don't think... No wonder his old man pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's various reasons to leave a marriage, but if, if all four parents of both partners are in the same house <sighs> with one potty between them... <sighs> so depressing. <laughs> I never thought that I would be over the moon in ecstasy, but nevertheless, it's there that I find myself to be. I've, I've got, got a golden, golden ticket. ticket. I've, I've got, got a golden, golden ticket. ticket. I've, I've got, got a glorious golden. sunshine in my eye or something. Anyway. Oh, 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 oh. oh he ne- nearly falls over. He does so too. Gran- oh, Grandpa Joe, oh, you haven't been out of bed for 20 years, but now that this little boy's got a ticket to a chocolate factory, oh, seems you can walk fine. Not just walk, he's doing yeah. dance moves. Oh, you've been on the compo, have you, mate, down at Centrelink. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst one of your... Uh, Daughter, your daughter is washing clothes to oh, staring him with a wooden stick in yeah, a bucket. Yeah, to to get enough money to feed you all, but you haven't been able to move for now. And he doesn't even oh. offer the mum the chance to go to the chocolate factory, and no. she's doing all the work around here. You filthy old bastard! Fucking patriarchy. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, the patriarchy. That's where man. it began. <laughs> Grandpa Joe, he's the leader of it. Yeah. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you. Ample. Hear, hear. Is this thing on? Yeah, that's on. Don't touch that.